answering your questions about matters of the head, heart, and health. This is Gut Feelings with Lo Bosworth. Hello, hello. Welcome to your brand new episode of Gut Feelings, your go-to podcast for advice on matters of the head, heart, and health. I am your host, Lo Bosworth, the founder of women's wellness brand, Love Wellness. You can find us at Walmart in Digestive Health, Target in Natural Beauty and Women's OTC, Ulta in Bath on Amazon, and of course, at lovewellness.com. On this show, we answer your head, heart, and health advice questions like your best friend would. We're all about building an open community here, so if you have a particularly tough or awkward question for us, that's okay, ask away. As you may know, tough and awkward is what we do best at Love Wellness. So with that, let's dive into your questions and today's guest. All right, on the show today, we have a friend. She's a content creator, author, podcast host, entrepreneur, Everybody, she's a self-made millionaire. She's the force behind the must-follow social media account, Your Rich BFF, Vivian Too. So let's give a big gut feelings welcome to Vivian. Vivian, hi. It is so great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to see you. How are you? So good to see you again. I know you and I have been trying to get dinner or lunch or anything for, for months now. I'm so happy to see you. How's the wedding planning going? Oh, Girl, don't get me started. Um, actually, we good. have a qu- we have a question about yeah, wedding planning. Yeah, actually, so let's save it. So let's just jump right into our questions. At the top of today's episode, we have a health question. So let's do it. When it comes to taking care of our health, obviously, there's a lot that we can do for ourselves to stay healthy. Sometimes medical treatment is the only option, though, which I know that everybody knows. I've experienced that. I'm sure you've experienced that. It can lead to debt and stress when they start to pile up. I feel like you see those TikToks of people that like leave the hospital and they get the bill and it's like two hundred thousand dollars. So one of our listeners, her name is Susie. She wrote to us and told us about the situation that she's going through with her health issues and her mounting debt. And she's saying it's starting to get really bad, but like she needs treatment. So she was hoping that you can explain how she can actually try to negotiate her medical bills and reduce costs. Is that even possible? It is 100% possible. And can I give you the most infuriating stat? Yes. (laughs) Look, unbelievably so, 80% of medical bills actually have errors in them. 80. Can you imagine? 80% of the bills like, being wrong get? 80% of the time? Like, that's not good. Why does that happen? Is that just like loose fingernails on, or loose fingies on a keyboard? Or is that like hospitals intentionally overcharging you as just part of their kind of approach? It's, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I see Grey's Anatomy and it's like, yes. Why are you overcharging me? (laughs) It's a little bit of both, right? There is human error to it. But also, essentially how medical billing works is that different treatments, different procedures, different services all have codes. And sometimes the same procedure can be coded differently depending on if it's preventative care, if it's treatment care, depending on what's going on. And your insurance, if you have insurance, is very specific about what they will and won't cover. So... Sometimes an x-ray is just coded a certain way. And because it's coded that way, it's $4,000 more than if it were to be coded a different way. So you just need to be really, really mindful that that type of thing can happen. But what you can do, this is just a quick one through five steps. Yeah, of, I didn't know that. So that's great info. But yes, take us through your one, your one through five. <laughs> yeah. When you get your medical bill, first thing you do you do is you're calling them and you're you're asking them to give you an itemized medical bill. It can't just be like, 
you owe us $800. It's like $800 for what? You want to see line item by line item what it is. Then you're going to go to Fair Health Consumer or Healthcare Blue Book. And basically, these sites let patients look up what these procedures and services should cost, like what an average cost is. So you know you're not, you know, two standard deviations away from what the average one of those things should be costing. And then regardless of whether or not you can actually afford to pay the bill, you should always negotiate. People sometimes feel weird about this because they're like, oh, well, if I can afford to pay the bill and I still negotiate, like, does that take away from somebody who can't afford to pay? No. Keep in mind that these same services happen in Europe and they cost a fraction, fraction, fraction of the cost that they cost here. So like, just know that things are expensive due to bureaucracy. You should not have to pay that. Interesting. I just, I mean, I didn't even realize that medical care was like a category of service that you could negotiate, like buying a car. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Is everything negotiable? And I just didn't realize. Literally When I go to Target, those prices on the shelf are not negotiable. I mean, they sort of are. What do you mean? Like if I go buy shampoo at Target and it says $3.99, it's $3.99. Slight tangent is... One time I went into, I want to say it was like a Bloomingdale's and mm-hmm. I saw a pair of shoes and they weren't on sale. They were full price. They were beautiful. And in theory, you're not supposed to negotiate at a department store, but right. they were made out of like that velvety type of like material. So there was like a scuff on them and a scuff that wasn't going to go away. And mm. so I said, do you have another pair of these in a size eight? And the guy behind the counter, he like went back to the back room. He was like, sorry, these are our last pair of eights. And I was like, you know what? I still want these shoes. Can you give me a discount because of the scuff? And he gave me 15% off. Mm-hmm. So okay. yeah, everything in your life is negotiable. Let's just put that out there right now. Whoa, that's interesting. Okay, back to your one through five yes. list. Medical procedures, guys, are negotiable. That's number three on the list. And yeah. Vivian says, don't feel uncomfortable about it. <laughs> don't feel uncomfortable about it. What you're going to do is you're going to call. I say calling is more effective than emailing. And you're going to ask politely like things that force the provider to tell you what waivers, discounts, or relief plans are available. So things like, hey, which of these fees can be waived? I know many hospitals have medical bill relief plans. Can you tell me about yours? What discounts do you offer for financial hardship? And you also want to ask if they have payment plans available. And you can mention that you'd love to be able to pay the bill off in full, but would only be able to do so if some of these fees are waived. And this can help incentivize an administrator to cut you a break if some of those earlier questions didn't work. What I will say is this, unfortunately, if you have insurance, oftentimes people are less willing to negotiate with you. But what you can actually say is, what would this cost if we ran it without insurance? And in your mind, you're thinking like, if I have insurance, this should be cheaper, right? Not always. Run it, see what it costs without insurance and see if they'll give you a cash discount where you pay up in full all at once. And in many cases, they will. Do you have any idea like what types of procedures that sort of strategy would apply to or not off the top of your head? Literally anything. It's like better to ask and know. Truly, it's better to ask. This is my motto. If you don't ask, the answer is no. If you ask, the worst thing that can happen is you are no worse off than you currently are. If you ask and they say yes, now suddenly you get 20 to 50% off this medical bill and suddenly you save thousands of dollars, that could be a huge benefit to you. So I just really don't think that, frankly, personally, from an ethical perspective, that 
medical debt should be the number one cause of bankruptcy in America, which it is. That seems like kind of unethical in my mind. But if you are, you know, looking to save money on medical procedures or surgeries that you may have coming up, like this is certainly a great way to negotiate down. Okay, I love that. Was that number four or number five? I don't recall. Were there are there more steps? (laughs) Yeah, I think the last one is just that you should keep in mind that most medical practices will work with patients to set up monthly installment plans without interest. This is important. Oh, so you'll essentially just pay what you can until the bill is paid off. And Mm -hmm. That's great because you aren't paying additional to Mm. have to, you know, pay over time. So make sure to take advantage of that if you need it. I have a follow up question. And this is a personal question as a follow up. And I see this stuff spoken about on TikTok. So I don't know how valid it is. And I don't want to be spreading misinformation. But you hear stories of people that allow these type of payments to eventually go to a debt collector. And once it hits a debt collector, they don't believe that they're responsible for it anymore because the debt collector has purchased the debt or something. Like what is, how, is that valid? If it is, why doesn't everybody do it? Or is that just a bunch of BS I'm seeing on the internet? So this is a situation where, what I like to say is like your mileage may vary, right? Like in theory, that's not true. That's not the case. If your debt is collected by a reputable debt collector, they can certainly collect on that debt. People say that if you ask them what the debt's for, they're violating HIPAA or like whatever, like then then you don't have to pay it. Like that's just not true. This would not be the current system if every single opportunity would be a violation. That said, there are certainly some unscrupulous debt collectors that are, for lack of a better word, a little shady, a little sketchy that might over overlook their bounds or overshare on the phone or disclose some sort of information that could potentially inert to your benefit in that it could deem that debt uncollectible, in which case it would just be wiped. But I wouldn't bank on that. And, you know, yeah, the people who are selling, yeah, the people <laughs> selling those like templates of like, write this email to your debt collector and your debt is magically erased. Like, that's not how life works. So that's a scam also. Yeah. Could Badly. be. Could be scams. Interesting. Could be. That's really helpful. My big takeaway is that I didn't know that you could negotiate medical bills. I've just been paying them my whole life. And now I feel like I have some work to do (laughs) on my approach to this. That's really, really good advice. Thank you. Um, And thank you to Susie for that question. It's a great question. All right, everyone. Big, really big news. We are kicking off the year with a huge promo. Now until January 31st, we are giving you 50% off your first subscription order on lovewellness.com. That's the entire website, you guys. After that, you get to enjoy 25% off your amazing Love Wellness products for life. Consistency is key when it comes to reaching and maintaining your wellness goals. So subscribing honestly ensures that you never miss a beat. There are so many subscriber perks like changing or canceling orders to fit your schedule, rewards points with every purchase, and free shipping on U.S. orders over $45. So be sure to shop this deal before it is too late. Visit lovewellness.com for 50% off your new subscription. Okay, so next we have a head question. And for anybody who is listening, if you have a head question of your own that you want answered, please email it to us, scottfeelings at lovewellness.com. You can DM me. And head questions really are about, you know, business, career, things of that nature. So the question, today's question, 
When it comes to achieving success in business and a career, it's obviously easy to become really paranoid, like about your level of productivity, right? Oh, yeah. I've had like a major sort of awakening when it came to my own level of productivity in the couple of months. But overproductivity can obviously lead to overworking yourself and like burnout. So a listener named Allison, she wrote in, she is in a really, really competitive field. She feels like she always is not doing enough, even though she's putting in really long hours at the office every week. So she reached out to us and she's hoping that you could give her a few of the tricks that you personally use to lessen productivity paranoia you experience. I don't know if the productivity paranoia is like a Vivian like saying or if she wrote in productivity paranoia. So please go for it. (laughs) I've done a video about this. And basically, productivity paranoia is when you are so paranoid about being productive that when you are in theory resting, you're just worried about the work you have to do. So your rest doesn't even feel restful. Rest is productive, guys. Yes. In the rest category. (laughs) Right. I'll be honest. Like, Allison, I hope you're listening to this. Like, I still struggle with this. I'm still bad at this. I have a really hard time setting personal boundaries, especially now that I run my own business. It always feels like there's one more thing I could be doing. There's one more email I could be sending. There's one more thing I could be writing back to or ideating or editing or creating. But you have to recognize that you're not trying to go fast. You're trying to go far. And I felt the same when I worked on Wall Street. I felt like I had to come in earlier, stay later than all of my peers because I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be seen as the best junior. And yeah, that's important. I get it. You're trying to earn your stripes. But you have to also think about what is going to set me up for success in the long term? What is going to make this sustainable for me to do over years and years and years versus just the next two months? And I think when you look at it from that perspective, it's not just you taking a break. It's Today, you taking care of future you. And when you do that, it gives you a moment to be like, okay, to take care of future me, I need to leave work and I need to go to the gym. I need to leave work. I need to go get a massage. I need to go see a friend just to decompress and bitch for an hour and a half because that is what I need. And oftentimes doing those things and taking time and making time for those important moments allows you to be more productive after the fact. I was running myself ragged a couple months ago. And then I had scheduled a girls weekend where a bunch of my girlfriends were going to come to Miami and we were going to party and have a great time. And I was like, I can't really afford to be like going out and like being hungover the next day and like not being productive over the weekend, yada, yada. When actually productive over the weekend, what are you talking about? I know, I know, I know, (laughs) but When it actually ended up happening, I was out of commission for a straight 48 hours. Like we were going out to the club. We were having a great time. We were going to the pool. We were swimming. We were just chatting. We were gossiping, whatever, you know, basically having a 48 hour sleepover. And the next week, I felt so recharged in a way that I hadn't felt in months because, Mm, yeah, sometimes, you know, we have different batteries. And sometimes that battery is work. Sometimes that battery is family. Sometimes it's, eating well and exercising and making sure that we have the right nutrients and supplements in our body. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes we think of only charging the career battery, but we have to be charging all of our batteries. Yeah, it sounds like the 
the biggest thing on this is being willing to evolve your perspective, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's it's you can understand the perspective of like bringing in more balance. You can understand it fundamentally, right? But are you actually willing to make that change? And I think for a lot of people, that is is really the struggle, right? Because I feel like everybody talks about work-life balance now and COVID kind of changed to a certain degree the way that people work. They work from home, right? But you have to have that willingness to actually practice what you preach, right? Or implement some changes. And I think it's very fear-based or like fear-driven to not do those things because you're concerned that the result is going to be bad. But to your point, the result more than often than not is actually good. It's better. And you have to experience something to understand that outcome, right? You can like see it, other people do it or whatever. But until you do it yourself, until you actually put it into practice, I think you can remain in that fear-based state of like, you know, not executing the things that you need to personally to recharge your batteries, right? From an actual logistical perspective too, I would say take advantage when you can. I don't know what fields, you know, Allison is in, but when your boss goes on vacation, time your own like working from home or time your own you know, going on a slight trip where you just check your email every so often. Like, it's okay. Like, when cats away, mice will play. Like, truly take advantage of when your boss is away. And sometimes when your boss is in the office, like, put in a little extra FaceTime. Perception is unfortunately very important. You don't necessarily need to be the smartest or hardest working person in the office. You unfortunately do have to be the most liked if you want to be the best paid. Perception is everything. I, I will really absolutely is. say that, you know, as... As a business owner, I was talking to somebody on my team the other day about career development. And sorry, this is a total tangent. But I think that people who are new to the workforce or just more junior, when they're goal setting and communicating with their managers, they often don't communicate or set a real trackable goal of in this amount of time, I want to get a promotion and make that known to your boss and to the company and vocalize it and put it in an email. If you just keep this stuff to yourself, it's not going to be on your manager's radar, right? No. The people that get promoted are the ones that literally put it in their annual goals. They write it down. And every single time you have a meeting that talks about their development, they bring that stuff up, right? And there's a major difference between people that communicate those career advancement desires versus people that don't, right? Exactly. So it's all in perception. Okay, I have my own again, a follow-up question. I've like <laughs> you just are making me like really think today, which is delightful. So we have all heard about the four day work week. Yeah. And you know, when you think about like logistically like working harder, you know, figuring out your time, do you think that the four day work week is gonna become something that is put into practice more in the United States? And do you think that people can actually get done in four days versus the what they do in a five day work? Because I'm inherently lazy and I would love a four-day work week. I'm just saying. (laughs) In my heart of hearts, I would love a four-day work week. I do think people would be more productive. And I think even frankly, like people will be willing to work longer hours on those four days and put in more time at the office on those four days if it meant they got that extra day off. Because we have to remember, it's not about the amount of work or the amount of time. 
it's about essentially proximity, right? And what do you mean by that? Where that time's bunched together. Because for every single day that you have to go to the office, you have to commute there. Yeah. You have to commute right. home. And you have to get like, you have to take a little break to go get lunch, right? You have to do all of those things. And that's essentially scalable. The more you have to commute to the office, the more time that takes, the more time you have to commute home, whatever. If you mm-hmm. go for four days, you still you now only have to commute four times in the morning, mm-hmm. four times in the afternoon and run out to buy a lunch four times. You can work harder and longer on those days. But then that Friday, you don't have to do any of that. So you save all of that time and all of that gas money and all of you know those extra resources. And that full day, your calendar is blocked so that you can go do something else. Mm-hmm. You're able to make more of that extra time versus just having an extra hour each night of the week. It's like, what are you doing with that hour? You're not be- you're not able to take your kid to the zoo. You're not able mm. to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Like Because you Friday you have time. off per se. You don't exactly. have to like use all of your Friday activities during the week after work, right? Correct. So you can exactly. work longer, harder Monday through Thursday. Correct. I do think in a country like America, there is going to be a challenge and resistance to adopting a four-day work week because yeah <laughs> have you okay have you seen yeah. a meme that's like people in europe it's like hello i'm off from july to september don't call don't text if you need anything fuck off and then in america it's like hi i'm currently in the hospital undergoing surgery if you need anything please email or call i will respond within 30 minutes it's like yep i think there's this almost like marriage to work or I guess like Americans like live to work whereas everyone else yeah. live, works to live and I think there is a little bit of that mentality that we're gonna have to break down yeah absolutely I mean I think it would require such a monumental culture shift within the U.S. and like policy changes all this stuff which like I don't think even in our lifetime that will happen maybe when you know Gen Z gets a little older and then the generation below them you know starts to become leaders at work or whatever. But it is interesting that a company that establishes a four day a week workplace, how competitive they could be for talent compared to companies yeah. that go five days a week, right? Yeah. And like how lucky you would feel as a worker in that environment and that you would be really motivated to keep that job yes. and to work hard because yes. you want that four day a week work week. And yeah, you know, I like read articles about this because like I said, I I own this business. And so we're always thinking about, you know, culture and what do we need to do to improve not only work-life balance, but of course, like you want your business to be successful. And a lot of the data shows that a four-day work week, you know, really does work for the people that have have tested it out. So it's uh, an interesting concept for sure. Okay. Well, yeah. Sorry. Thanks for answering my question too. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, our final question is up next, but a quick reminder that we are giving you 50% off your first subscription order right now on lovewellness.com. Set and keep your wellness goals this year. It is so easy with a subscription. Snag this deal on lovewellness.com now until January 31st. Okay, let's go to our last question. Okay, one last question today. It is a heart question. We love matters of the heart here at Gut Feelings. So Vivian, you're planning your wedding, which is so exciting. Congratulations. I'm sure you have a million hacks on how to do so. But we have a question from Andrea, who's also planning her big day. She really wants to get your advice on how you and your fiance are able to avoid fights about money, which can be a killer for any relationship. 
She said right now she's in the process of merging finances with her fiance as they get closer to the wedding. It's definitely causing some tension in their relationship. So what are your secrets to avoiding these fights over finances? So funny. I would say finances and money are the one thing that my fiance and I have never fought about. Like really? ever. Is it because yeah. you just discussed it from the beginning? Or yeah. Like, I think, like how? I think we were both really transparent. So little context, little backstory here. I moved in with my fiance a month into dating him because I had accidentally, don't get me started. I accidentally rented a roach infested apartment in downtown in Soho because I thought I was cool. I was not. I oh my didn't God. have, I was basically like horrified because I'm very afraid of bugs. And I was like, I have no place to live. I don't know what to do. And so I moved in with him. And because of that, we had had a lot of those conversations about money, about rent, about living together, like a lot earlier and probably a little bit prematurely than most couples probably would have. But it made it so easy to talk about what we got paid, what we were comfortable spending, what type of vacations we wanted to go on, what future planning looked like for us. And now I would say every month or so, we sit down and we have like a financial audit which is not at all sexy. So call it a money date. And it is a Friday or Saturday night. We will stay in. We'll order a pizza. We'll get some soda and ice cream and just like have a really fun night, treat ourselves. And over pizza, we'll talk about how much we have currently saved. What are we budgeting for? What investments are we currently making? Are they performing the way we want them to be performing? Are there any? Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Are my investments performing? Love that. (laughs) Yeah. And then also just like any sort of big plans we have on the horizon. Like this is like a big conversation we had about two years ago when we were doing these money dates. Was like, we want to buy a house. What does that look like? I love that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. What does the house look like? What does, you know, what does it have? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? Where does it need to be? But have these conversations more often than not, and before you start doing really important things together. Because I will say, I'll be honest, we are already a little over our wedding budget, as a lot of people do. They go over. I feel like Um, that's normal. Yeah, that's like normal. uh, My my question, though, is like, it's causing tension. So like, they didn't start, obviously, in the place that you and your fiance did, right? So you're, and like, your career is in money. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people have... Yeah, I think a lot of people have grievances and they don't know how to resolve those grievances, right? And so if there is an issue that you can like not agree on, yeah, you know, when it comes to finances, like how do you create a a path forward? I think when you're dating, first and foremost, look for someone who values a dollar the same way you do. That doesn't mean date a rich person. That doesn't mean date someone who doesn't have debt. It just means date someone and eventually marry someone who values a dollar the same way you do. If you've come to the point where you're already really in love with this person, you're starting to build a life and you're having disagreements, I think there needs to be almost like a like a boot camp day where you get fully financially naked with each other. And like, mm. it's so funny, right? Like we joke about this, but like we are more comfortable getting physically naked in front of a stranger than we are getting financially naked. Yeah. <laughs> with people that you've probably, you know, lived with and people that you love and people that you've been with for years. Sure. So get fully financially naked. Talk about your savings. Talk about your debt. Talk about your investments. Talk about 
any sort of financial hindrances, whether that's alimony payments, child support, anything that's hidden in the closet, put it all out on the table and then start to discuss how you want to address your finances moving forward. For some people, that's keeping the account separate. For some people, that's merging into just one big old thing. In my mind and my advice to most people is consider a yours, mine and our strategy. So Mm. I have an account with my money. My fiance has an account with his money. Every single month, we also put money into a joint account that pays for joint expenses, things like mortgage, things like groceries, utilities, if we go on vacation together, what have you. But this allows us to, one, pay for our joint expenses in a way that's equitable. Doesn't necessarily mean a 50-50 split. It means equitable in that, like, you actually feel it's fair. And then I still have my own money to go get my lashes done, go see my girlfriends, go grab a drink. But he also has his own money to go go to the golf course and buy new like golf shoes. And I have nothing to say about that because we both work hard. We earn our own money. And then Mm -hmm. our money goes together to pay for things we both need, as well as things that each of us want. I think that's a smart approach because it sort of like inhibits or prevents resentment that can build, right? Like, oh, like you're spending too much of our money, whatever, right? Like if I like that sort of like ours concept, you know, in relation to yours and mine, I think that's really smart. It's It's a good idea. Do you have in on your website, I know you have a new book coming out, Rich yes. AF, The Winning Money Mindset That Will Change Your Life. Do you have like a, I'm not going to call it a boot camp guide, but do you have like a checklist of like all the things that people should be thinking about from a financial perspective that they could bring to the table with their partner and be like, these are the things that we need to cover? Because I'm sure the list is really long and you'll forget things, right? So do you have any kind of like guide or outline that people could look for? Yes, 100%. So you mentioned my book, Rich AF. It comes out on December 26th of 2023. And in this book, basically, I split the book into two halves. The first half is you work hard for your money. And then the back half is your money works hard for you. And essentially, in the very last chapter of financial domination, I go through conversations that you might need to be having with people just to Think about money outside of a vacuum. In theory, Mm -hmm. right, it's really easy to be good with money. Everything you need is on Google at your fingertips. But it's a lot harder when the person sitting across the table from you at the negotiation table is your fiance, is your best friend, is your mom, is your sister. So it's so much harder. So in this book, at the end of every single chapter, there is a checklist of to-dos so that you can make sure that you can read it from page one to the very last page if you know nothing about finances, know nothing about money, think you're horrible, and you can feel more confident, more, you know, able, more capable, and just more ready to take on your own financial journey to get the most out of life. And then you can actually use a lot of the scripts that I put into the book to have money conversations with friends and loved ones. Oh, scripts. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would that alleviates some 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 pressure. Yeah, <laughs> for <I'm> sure. sure. <laughs> also, well, Viv, you have such good advice. Thanks for answering our listener questions and my questions. <laughs> Hopefully I was like partially helpful to listeners today. <laughs> Viv is just like full of amazing ideas. But it was so great to have a chance to see you and sit down to have a chat. Congratulations on the book too. Amazing. Of course. Thank you so, so much for having me. And congratulations again on all of your success with Love Wellness. I am a huge fan. Thanks, Vivian. 
Thank you again to Vivian for coming on the show today and getting real with us on so many topics. I also want to thank all of you for listening in and joining me for this episode. If you have a head heart health question, email us at gutfeelings at lovewellness.com. You can DM me or Love Wellness or leave your question just on our show's social posts in the comments. And if you've liked the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. I'm Love Bosworth and I will see you next time on Gut Feelings.